Welcome to What's Your Jersey Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Marafuji, and I'm coming at you straight from the Jersey Shore. Very on brand. Meatballs, I hope you had a great week. I've missed you. Uh, we were supposed to record this podcast actually two weeks ago, but there was a hurricane and I didn't have internet and power and my guest this week was so kind and push back. So that's why you're getting it a week late uh, before we get to my absolutely fabulous guest. I just want to say thank you for supporting the podcast. Thank you for still listening. We're we're in our third season, guys. And I just want to say I'm very eternally grateful to have you. Meatballs, I love you. I just did Adderall and Compliments with An- Annabelle DeSisto, and we talked about Coyote Ugly's 20th anniversary. We talked about Brittany and Kevin's Chaotic. And then I also recapped getting to film a really cool thing with Joe Gorga from The Real Housewives of New Jersey. So definitely go check that episode out. Uh, but enough about me. I hope you guys are just staying safe, staying healthy, staying happy. I think your mental health is the most important thing right now besides you know, your own actual physical health. So if anyone needs anything or just wants to talk, you can email me at what's your Jersey podcast at gmail.com. And please, please, please remember subscribe, rate, review, and number one, share with your friends. It's the best way to find out about podcasts. All right. So there was a little snafu that happened when I was recording. I got so excited to interview my guest, Ben Whittlecombe, that I forgot to hit record. But it was weird. I randomly decided to record the entire podcast on my iPhone about five minutes in. I was like, you know what? Just for safety, because this is such a cool guest and such a great interview, I'm going to record it on my phone too. Well, 10 minutes after that, I look and realize I had not recorded on my podcast machine at all. So we're piecing together the sound, but if there's sound inequality issues, that's why I didn't want to cut anything out because he's so fascinating. He spills so much tea, gives great advice on just being a journalist and a writer, and he's just amazing. I'm going to list his credits now because I did it originally when we were talking, but I'll do it again. Uh, currently, he's the editor-in-chief of Avenue Magazine. He just had an amazing book, guys. If you're looking for a summer read, it is so chock full of just awesome stories. The writing is hilarious. I actually listened to it on Audible. So there's just a fabulous, I think it's an Australian guy who narrates it, like Ben. But his book, Gatecrasher, How I Helped the Rich Become Famous and Ruin the World, just came out. So definitely order it on Amazon. Get it however you can. I'll put the link in the podcast notes. It's awesome. He literally, guys, if he could get an EGOT for journalist, he would. But he does have the triple crown, the only only journalist to have this, because he was writing for Page Six, the New York Times, and TMZ all at the same time. He also you know, spills the tea and shares anecdotes about life in the 80s and 90s during like the rise of the Hiltons and the Trumps. And he talks a lot about Paris Hilton conquering pop culture two decades ago. He's just 
he's he's awesome. He talks about working the Oscars, the Hamptons, and the Met Gala being at Mar-a-Lago. He was, in 1998, the first fashion gossip columnist. Uh, I think one of his biggest credits is he was the first journalist to break the Kim Kardashian sex tape. Guys, I mean, come on. It's a lot. Uh, and you're going to love our interview. We talked about so much. We talked about Britney Spears, Free Britney. We talked about cancel culture and everything that's happened. We talk about Ellen DeGeneres, the Vanderpump Rules firings. We talk about TikTok, TikTok brats. He just released an article in Avenue Magazine called How to Avoid Raising the Rich Brats of TikTok. So there's a lot of insight there. He gives a great quote about just showing up and dressing the part that I love. We talk J-Lo. We talk Real Housewives, Chateau Marmont, supermodels in the 90s. Just, guys, there's so much here. Definitely stay tuned until the end. He makes his own football team with a, with a list of all his favorite celebrities, political figures, socialites, everything. So definitely stay tuned. Uh, and he's just so friendly and honest and funny and just sassy and cheeky and I really think you guys are going to love him. He was recording in the middle of a rainstorm, thunder and lightning in New York City. I was at the Jersey Shore. We talked about that originally all in the beginning. I don't think it's in still, but guys, you're just going to love him. I know you are. And um, yeah, if you love pop culture, if you love hearing about celebrities, he also drops tea about Jennifer Aniston, about covering her decades ago. Like, guys, there's just so much. I'm going to stop talking. Thank you, thank you, thank you for rating, reviewing, and sharing with your friends. And without further ado, here is the fabulous journalist, Ben Whittlecombe. And from the high society side. Well, one of the things, I mean, I'm only halfway through your book, Gatecrasher, but one of the things that I loved so much about it was, A, you're so witty, you're so funny, and you're so cheeky, but you're also, you don't come across as, like, thirsty, you know? Like, you you are so humble and just classy. Like, I love, I, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I just want to sip a dry vodka martini talking to you every night of the week. Like, that's what I got out of your book. That is my favorite kind of martini. We would get along very well. Oh, fabulous. Well, when we finally meet someday, when the pandemic is over, um, <laughs> that's it. Well, I think it does behoove, you know, people who do what I do to be humble because the journalists who uh, get confused and start thinking it's about them are the ones who get into trouble because I have been lucky to cover just literally dozens, if not hundreds, of movie stars and prominent people from President Trump to the Kardashians to most of the movie stars you've heard of. And I, I never for a moment thought it was about me. The readers want to read about them. Uh, and, uh, you know, some gossip colonists get a bit of an ego, and I think that's a problem because you, you have to know that the readers want to hear the stories about the rich and famous. But to some extent, your job is really to get out of the way and tell them the story. Oh, 100%. And that's what I'm going to do today. I'm just going to let you tell stories. Um, I actually just read one of your stories in Avenue about um, TikTokers, the TikTok brats. <laughs> yep. Which is so funny because I feel like it, like that was such like a departure from like the, uh, like I love all your town and country articles. Guys, you need to look this up if you're into diets or just like high society women, like there is an article, the unofficial history of rich women and their diets that Ben wrote. For, it's my favorite one from your town and country articles. Um, oh, thank you. That, that, was, that was a kick to write. 
Oh my God. My Aunt Clara actually had her read it. And she was like, how, ask Ben, how did the women who were just drinking scotch as their diet, like, is that it? Like, is that all they did? How did they kick the scotch habit? I, I think at that point they get so drunk and also probably their, their stomachs are so acidic that they can't keep anything down anymore. <laughs> I mean, maybe I should try it. I don't know. Um, but I feel like because TikTok is so prevalent right now, I mean, are, are you even on TikTok? Like, how did you even research this article? Like, were you so bored writing it? Like, I was just like feeling bad for you reading it. So I do very little social media because I'm old and I'm a dinosaur, but I do enjoy TikTok. You know, I don't post anything, obviously. So you'll not find me dancing on TikTok. Uh, but I do enjoy, you know, logging on. You know, I, I like a cute dog video, like, like as much as the next person. And some of the cooking stuff is a little fun. But, you know, um, the, the key to writing for different outlets is you have to know your audience. So... Um, you kindly alluded to the fact that I'm the only journalist who's written for both TMZ and the New York Times, and obviously very different publications, and you just can't write the same way for both. You know, at TMZ, I wrote well, the TMZ voice, and at New York Times, I can write New York Times. And now that I'm editor-in-chief of Avenue, you know, we have an older crowd. Yeah. Um, they're probably more conservative. So when I wrote, wrote that story about TikTok, you know, it was a little critical of some of the, the more vulgar young people on it in terms of how they're showing off their wealth, which is alarming to their parents. So I was writing a story from the point of view of parents because that's what the publication demands. So, which is just a long way of saying, don't judge me when you read the story because I kind of make fun of the kids. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all kind of making fun of the kids in our heads. So Good. thank you for doing that. I mean, any kid that's going to post hashtag daddy's money, hashtag oh. private school, hashtag rich check. Come on. Come. I know. It's kind of irresistible in its process, though, isn't it? Oh, it is. And I was wondering, because now I see that Paris Hilton is on TikTok, and I, I want to be like, Paris, you've done this already. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, well, I, said, I, I would argue she invented it. I mean, exactly. you know, in my book, I take her very seriously. Uh, and, um, you know, I feel like Paris has been dumped on unfairly over the years. Uh, a lot of that is just misogyny. Uh, and people, and I'm not saying she's a genius, but I am saying that she was a pivotal figure in the culture. And the stuff that she invented in 99, 2000 is the playbook that number one got Donald Trump elected president. Mm -hmm. Number two, Kim Kardashian copied her exactly and did even better at her own game. Totally. Uh, and number three, I think those TikTok teenagers are, are essentially doing what Paris was doing 20 years ago. Exactly. So it's all the same. <laughs> no one's reinventing the wheel. There's just better technology. That's what I think. Um, and it's, I, I love everything you wrote about in the book because I, I'm going to age myself, but I graduated high school very, very early 2000s. So I grew up in New Jersey and just grew up idolizing because I couldn't go to these things like Amy Sacco, like always hearing stories about yeah. Bungalow 8. I mean, I remember dropping my entire like <laughs> month long paycheck for my summer job for a, a night of bottle service at Suede. Like... <laughs> I mean, like, Swain, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I oh God. Did you, you probably didn't have to buy bottles. I'm sure people just handed them to you. They kind of just handed them to me as a, as a gossip columnist. I want to point out that that was not allowed at the New York times. Um, I worked for the daily news for, for a decade uh, and there was a lot of going out when I was younger and a lot of, uh, a lot of bottles were consumed. Oh my God. And one of my favorite quotes from you, which I feel like, 
going into these nightclubs and like going through all of this stuff is, and meatball, oh, I call my listeners meatballs. So if you hear me reference meatballs, that's, <laughs> we're talking to everyone listening out there. Um, meatballs, I feel like this is something you can carry into your work life, your everyday life, just everything. You wrote, dress the part, act like you belong, and always be ready to sail with the tide. The three golden rules of gate crashing right there. <laughs> I mean, if that doesn't make you want to buy the book, and I'm not going to lie. I've been super lazy. I've been listening to it on Audible. I haven't been physically reading it, which I'm so mad at myself about, but I didn't have time. Oh, my God. The guy who read the, the audiobook is so cute. He's so cute. Oh, my God. I, the... I, know, I know that's not a good reason to listen to an audiobook, but oh, my God. He's so cute. <laughs> no, he's so cute. You sound like him, though. It's so funny. Um yeah, I think in my notes, I even wrote that accent is really killing it. Um, so before we move on, I have to do a shout out to Brian Howie um, from the Great Love Debate podcast. He was the one that connected Ben and I. Oh, thanks, Brian. Yeah. And um, I think the reason why he connected us, he I he knows I have been a massive fan of Britney Spears forever. And, um, I, he just knew that. And he was like, Oh my God, you like, I did a, a show that Perez Hilton came to where I played Britney. And the, the show was actually, um, called the do you remember this? And it was Britney Spears, Lindsay Lohan and Paris Hilton kind of going back in time in like a time machine. Um, and seeing that was the trifecta. That was the big three. That was it. And you definitely covered it. And I feel like a lot of the stuff you've said I, that I've listened to and you talked about with Brian, it resonates so much about mental illness these days. And I just wanted to know your take. Um, will Brittany ever be free? Well, uh, I think Brittany is in a relatively safe place. Yes. I, I, I think you have to be careful wading into, um, you know, Brittany has a diagnosis. Uh, and the fact is that I don't know what it's like to live with that diagnosis. No. So that's why I'm being super cautious. Totally. Uh, in the context of my book, I use her an example of, um, you know, there's a lot of fun writing gossip, but there was also a little bit of ickiness. Uh, and I talk about how when Brittany was, you know, having mental health struggles in the public eye, uh, you know, she shaved her head, she was taken away in an ambulance. You know, the gossip columnists were really feasting on that. And yeah. that was when I started to feel bad about what we were doing. Yeah. Because she really kind of needed space. Um, so that's why I'm always a little, and that's why I'm completely reluctant to weigh in on the whole free bit thing. Because I think when it, when you're talking about another person's diagnosed illnesses, then it's not just, it's a different thing from just criticizing their body. I totally agree with you. And even for someone like me that was a huge Britney fan, is a huge Britney fan, during that time, I didn't want to consume the media that, was surrounding her because like I kind of like backed off on all of it because it was just so heartbreaking. And I feel like everyone just needed to like, to quote that guy, leave Brittany alone, <laughs> leave her the fuck alone. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if the kids even know, know what that means. <laughs> Probably not. Oh, I'm so old. Um, you know, the, the subtitle of the book is how I help the rich become famous and ruin the world. And, and the eye there is to just, admit that I have some culpability in this. And it's not just me pointing my finger, oh, look at the celebrities over there. Yeah. And the, because really the media was cashing in on all this. We, we loved the spectacle. We were throwing logs on the fire yeah. uh, rather than trying to help. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously Lindsay Lohan had her own struggles as well. Uh, and we loved every second of it. You know, we, we liked crazy Lindsay. 
Um, and I was concerned that we were heading to a Princess Diana moment where, you know, the media scrutiny was literally going to kill one of these young women. Yeah. And then we would pretend to be sorry, but really we'd be cashing in. So uh, I was, uh, uh, you know, I didn't feel great about that part of the business. I have to ask you, have you met Brittany or Lindsay or Paris? Have you interviewed them or hung out with them? So- I've never met Brittany, uh-huh. um, but the others, yes. Yes. I have, I have met and hung out with Paris and Linz, uh, and uh, it is exactly as you would imagine. Ah, oh, fabulous and just a shit show and well, epic. Lindsay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay used to go around town with her mother, Dina, um, who was a whole other can of worms. Oh. Uh, and, you know, I can remember I was, would be at Fashion Week with them, and there was, I was once backstage in a VIP room, and... Dina was sitting outside the, the bathroom door. Lindsay was inside the, the, the ladies' room. And uh, she would, uh, you know, you'd be here Lindsay snorting inside the restroom. Now, I won't say what she was doing, but let's just say she was inhaling through her nose very loudly. And Yeah, I don't know. And You're yeah, right. And, and, and Dina was just going through their, like, daily schedule, like, through the door. And I was like, God, what are you, what are you two doing? Don't you, don't you understand what's going on? So it was, it was just crazy. Oh my God, that's insane. I mean, what a time to be alive. Um, I want to know, so the whole point of What's Your Jersey podcast is to find out where you're from and basically how you got to where you are. So I want to know how you went from basically being from Australia, a hot dog vendor in New York to, (laughs) you know, like having the triple crown for journalists. Well, yeah, I, I, I moved from Australia in 1998. Uh, and I was, I was in my, my, I was 27 then. So, uh, I had, I was, had a few years of journalism under my belt and of course moved to New York. didn't have my paperwork quite in order, shall we say, didn't quite have my green card sorted out. So I had to do those crummy immigrant jobs that, you know, for cash. Um, so I was literally a hot dog vendor on the street because that was a job that I could get where they didn't check my paperwork. You're so um, relatable. <laughs> and I moved with my, um, sort of fancy boyfriend, um, who was a fashion guy. Uh, and he had the, uh, he, he was, he was more interested in, in the New York fashion scene than I was, uh, but okay. of course we were together. So we would go out at night and we were young enough to pull it off to, uh, to, as you, as you said, we dressed the part and we acted like we belonged. And he had the idea that we should start this fashion gossip column, which we did called chic happens. It was one of the first gossip columns on the internet. It was before Perez Hilton, um, before Gawker or things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And was kind of successful because it was the first one. And so when I finally got my paperwork sorted out, um, that's how I sort of fell into gossip uh, because I had a reputation as a, as a gossip columnist almost by accident because, you know, my guy and I were, were out every night. Yeah. I mean, I just can't imagine that time. So was that like early 90s? That was 98. And uh, I started working for the newspaper gossip columns around 2000. I just, I, I want to know, like, were you ever worried about like keeping up with the Joneses or like, was that already just kind of like in you because of like your fancy, like fashion boyfriend? Like, I feel like that would be so intimidating to start having to do that. Oh no. I mean, I think that, um, I was always attracted to the spectacle of it and there's no, look, there's nothing wrong with liking a little glitz and glamour. Um, especially if you're a foreigner moving to New York city, it's kind of what you want, right? It's like, we weren't moving to Albuquerque, you know, we weren't moving to Omaha, Nebraska. We were moving to New York city. We we wanted to see that, that all, all that fun. Um, yeah. but I also think that Australians are pretty down to earth and, and we don't intimidate easily. So, um, I was not at all, um, intimidated by the fact that we were meeting these famous people because that was what I came to New York to do. Oh, totally. I want to know 
I love Tinsley Mortimer. I feel like <laughs> like a little girl, like always reading like fabulous stories about her running around New York City. Um, do you have any like favorite like Tinsley stories or anything about her right now? The whole like Real Housewives of New York thing. I feel like I'm so happy she got off the show just because <laughs> Tins, you're better than that. Um, I, I do have a lot of Tins stories from back in the day. I mean, she did quite well, I have to say. She had, she had a long run. Um, she, uh, so one of the things that I discovered about people in general, but Tinsley in, in particular, was that people who want to be famous have really thick skins. So you can kind of say whatever you want about them. And as long as they're getting pressed, they don't mind. So I used to make terrible fun of Tinsley because she was such a, a camera hog. And uh-huh. I would, I would joke how she was always throwing herself in front of the camera and how, you know, she would just be attracted to flash bulbs like a moth. She would just wander around the city you know, going to red carpet events. Oh, and um, she, she, I wouldn't say she loved it, but she didn't mind it because she was getting ink. And one of the last times I saw her, which was many years ago now, um, was at a, a, a club called Lavo in, in Midtown Manhattan. Oh, and yes. she, she was dating this kind of meathead guy at the time. Uh, and he literally chased me around the club because he, he didn't like how I was writing about Tinsley. Uh, so I was, oh, sort of, I was trying to avoid getting, getting beaten up by her boyfriend. But um, <laughs> they, but uh, I, I did avoid it. He, you know, he didn't touch me, so I survived to to, to ride another day. But um, uh, yeah, so that's I, so I, worthy I, of her. I've had some adventures with tins. <laughs> oh my god, I love that you call her tins. That's so fabulous. <laughs> it's amazing. No, I want to know: has there been any other times where, like, you were like scared for your life, or like you're like, ah, uh, maybe I should just stop. Like, this isn't even worth it. Um, mostly not. Uh, and again, it gets back to most people have really thick skins. And so you have yeah. to be able to know how to, 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 to pick your targets. Um, so no, I think I played it pretty, pretty safe. Mostly. I want to know, I feel like cancel culture, which is like such a buzzword right now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like all, because all of us are like sitting at home and don't have that much to do. Like it's like a magnifying glass on everyone. It wasn't like that back in the day. Like, has this affected you at all as a gossip columnist now? Like, have you been afraid to write about certain things or say certain things? Or is it kind of like, this is my point of view and business as usual for you? Well, you know, I, I haven't been a gossip columnist for 10 years now. Um, so I, I ended up as managing editor of TMZ in L.A., in yeah. 2009. And, like, and I, I live of... across the street from there. I live on Crescent oh, yeah. Sunset. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> okay, yeah. that's, that's a whole other episode of Jersey uh, right there. But um, oh my God. Uh, so we, uh, so I, I came back to New York in, in late 2009 and started working for the Times. So I haven't been a practicing gossip columnist for quite a while. But yeah. I do think that gossip columns, the way I practice them, are largely obsolete. Um, and in fact, just today, uh, only a few hours ago, it was announced that the newsroom of the New York Daily News is going is going away because it was closed in the pandemic and the paper makes so little money that they're not even going to keep it anymore. Um, so so and that was my that was my paper. So it's heartbreaking. It was it was once the, the largest circulating daily newspaper in the United States. Uh, and now it doesn't even have an office. It's just people working from home. Um, so it's barely alive. Uh, and I think that a big part of the reason why that certainly gossip columns and maybe even tabloid newspapers in general aren't needed anymore is because of social media, which speaks yeah. to your point about cancel culture and just the kids are doing it differently. And and right now it's the, the, the people that you're curious about as celebrities, you can interact with directly. They're all publishing their own stuff um, on their social platforms. Uh, and if the fans don't like it, they, they can cancel them. And you don't need that layer of journalists um, that you used to. 
No, it's, but it's like almost not as fun. Like I, I like having that layer of journalists. Like it's not, it takes away some, like the mystique of celebrity for me, you know? Well, I think it helps that we're, we're a skeptical bunch, you know? So um, we're not taking people at face value and we're, we're calling them out on their nonsense um, and poking a little bit of fun. Uh, which I think is the is the role of a press in, the press in the demo, in any kind of democracy, uh, and at the most serious level you've got to keep tabs on Donald Trump, and at the less serious level you're, you're doing, running a gossip column. But it is harder to hold these people to account when they're publishing their own channels, you know, on Instagram and, and, and YouTube. Oh, totally. If you could have any advice for like the cancel culture people, like I feel like these guys have hired these like PR teams and stuff. Like, what do you think is the best move you could make for someone who's been like canceled or has stuff? Do you think like staying silent or like trying to like learn and put yourself out there is better? That is an excellent question. Uh, I think it depends on why you've been canceled. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean some people have been canceled for like serious racist stuff, you know, like, yeah. so they, like they really deserve to be canceled. And, and I'm not sure those are the, are the most self-aware people in the first place. But yeah. um, I feel like so much of it is just like little daily spats that are going to blow over. Um, so mostly, uh, I mean, you know, in, in, the, in the news business, we used to say never explain, never complain. Uh, and that meant that when you were criticized, you just didn't, you tried not to like, you know, let it crush you and you just kept going. Um, I do think that's harder when everyone has a voice uh, and everyone has their own social channel. But generally speaking, um, if you believe in yourself and you think you're a good person, I would just say press on and it will get better. Oh my gosh. I love that, Ben. You could be a crisis manager for all these people right now. <laughs> but the trouble is the bad people don't know they're bad people. <laughs> so. Exactly. They're like, I'm killing it. Yes, right. <laughs> they're like, no, you're killing your I'm, career. Big pull. You go, dude. You, you have those guns. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I've always wondered, like, not that, like, I've been around, like, a ton of celebrities, but I've worked, like, I worked at the Sunset Marquee Hotel. I've worked... At the Playboy, I've worked like a ton of events. Like I've lived in LA for over a decade now. And I, you know, I've done stand-up shows and there's celebrities in the LA. Mm -hmm. So I've been around some stuff. And it's funny, there's an actor right now who's like going through like a divorce publicly, publicly. And like I his ex now is on a show that's trending on Netflix. And I had witnessed a lot just from being at parties with them mm -hmm. over like the past year. And even today I read an article where he's like talking about the timing of like possibly being with his new girlfriend. And I was like, Oh my God, that's so not true. And like, I, I mean, I could write into a gossip column or do something like that, but I won't respect wise. But like, how is that for you when like, you know, certain things aren't true or like, do people try to give you tips? I guess I don't know what I'm trying to ask you, but it just feels so awkward. Cause you're like, no, this is what really happened. But it, like, well, I, well, I get it. It's been it's been a decade since I've I've done that um, kind of gossip. But yeah. uh, you know, back in the day, certainly you, you could never trust what they said about their relationships. There, there was one bizarre moment when Jennifer Aniston was dating Vince Vaughn, who you know was kind of a schlub, and yeah. so it was kind of a surprising coupling. And we knew they were together, and they were denying, denying, and then they broke up, and then one of them, or maybe even both of them, had a movie come out. And then Jennifer Aniston went public with the um, relationship, like after they broken up, and we were just like, "What?" <laughs> I mean, so so it was exact. She, so she lied about everything. She lied about it when they were together, and she lied about when they broke up. And I will tell you that another household name movie star who won an Oscar um, 
some some years ago now. Um, you know, when you are campaigning for an Oscar, you need to have a public relationship. And this very famous um, actress, whose initials are JR, uh, broke up with her handsome boyfriend, but made him like keep by her side until she won the Oscar, and then she dumped him right after. Oh so it's God. it's it's all part of the of the, the people love a couple, and it's more interesting for the fans um, to to see their 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 beloved star um, out and dating. Uh, people do love a couple. Um, it's funny. Right before the pandemic was, I think the Golden Globes, right? Mm-hmm. Was that about like the last award show you were at? Like, what was the last big star-studded event? Like, do you have any favorite stories or anything that you remember about like your pre-COVID? You know, it's so funny. I, I was at the Globes, and you know, you ha- what happens when you're press is you you go to a this big parking structure and you check in. And you get your credentials and then they drive you in a minivan to the a hotel where it happens. And we were driving through the streets and there are all these anti-vax protesters. Like, I guess that's just what people were protesting at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, like in, in the, in the olden days, it would have been like anti-fur protesters. There's always like a, a you know, a cause of the moment. And yeah. I just remember thinking, oh, it's kind of interesting that anti-vaxxers are now the new nut jobs who are protesting award shows. Uh, and then of course, only a few months later, COVID hit. So it seemed like a weird kind of that scene in the zombie movie where the character has a cough, you know, and it's like, it's, it's, it's the canary in the coal mine that everything's about to, to, to fall apart. And I kind of think the anti-vaxxers were that. <laughs> That's so crazy. Um, I want to know what made you actually want to write Gatecrasher just because like it, the undertaking of writing a book is so much. And like, you also were doing so many other things. Like how did that spark? Oh, well, I just wanted to make sense of my own life, which I think is a very human impulse, no matter what you do. Um, And I had been, uh, at that point, living in the States for 20 years. Um, So the book covers 98 to 2018. And uh, I did think that the, even though I was covering for for some of that time, kind of the trashier parts of the culture, um, I did think that they connected with the broader culture and even the political ecosystem in a way that was more profound than people wanted. Wanted to acknowledge. Um, and obviously the proof of that is the, the president we have right now is a reality star. Um, oh, yeah. So I felt that I had a particular insight having been literally in their presence, having like been with the Kardashians, having been with the Trumps. You know, I, I, I've been to all of their apartments and, and, and um, spoken to them personally and observed their behavior and yeah. how their behavior is paid off for them so spectacularly. Um, even when it wasn't the most, shall we say, admirable behavior, you know, the sex tapes and the affairs and the various you know, rude remarks that Trump has made uh, over the years. So I wanted to try to make sense of it and explain to people how, even though we dismiss this gossip culture as very shallow, which it certainly is, it connects to the bigger picture in a way that we ignore at our peril. Wow. I want to know, like, walking into, like, Kris Jenner's house or walking in to do your interview with the Trumps, I've heard you say that Trump is basically, like, you, what you see on TV is like what you get. Yeah. <laughs> he is only two dimensional. Like there's nothing, there, there, there is no hidden, hidden facet there. Yeah. And like, is it the same way with like Chris Jenner or like other celebrities or. Well, no, other people have, have layers. Like, I mean, Melania doesn't give anything away at all. Um, and I don't think particularly enjoys the life that she has had thrust upon her um, yeah. with Donald's increasing prominence. So, um, you know, I've spoken to, I've interviewed Donald many times and he is just this seething three-year-old 
um, who says exactly what's on his mind. Um, and whereas Melania is completely guarded and you, you, you get nothing but walls and, and, you know, surfaces with her because she, she doesn't want you to know what she's thinking. Um, and, you know, and then you get the Hiltons who I think are, are more open and you can probably tell exactly what they're thinking. Whereas yeah. the Kardashians are more calculated and you don't necessarily know what they're thinking. So, um, I think every person is different. It's so crazy, especially everything that just happened with Kanye calling Chris Jenner like Chris Jong Un, like <laughs> stuff like that. Like, I would love to know what's like really going down, like in that environment right now. Like, it's it's crazy, and it's well, playing. Out. There's no question that Chris is the brains of that operation, which I think a lot of people understand. Yeah. Um, and she's done so incredibly well for her family, uh, and you know. Um, uh, I mean, I mean, I think, I think Chris is the key to that whole operation and certainly Kim, um, has deserves a lot of credit herself. Um, if, in as much as you find what she's done creditable. Um, but it was fascinating the way she literally followed the Paris Hilton sex tape playbook. And that was the foundation of her, 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 her empire. It's so crazy. Um, I want to know like who, who do you think, like, who do you, like, light up when you're around? Like, who is someone, like, you love talking about or you love doing stories on, like, or someone that also, like, influences you when it comes well, to all of this? Well, I quite enjoy talking about intellectualizing, if that makes sense. I, yeah. I enjoy trying to find a deeper meaning in, in the superficiality of this world. Yeah. I wouldn't say that in, there are any particular individuals that I light up around. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and those that are a kind of like goofy older celebrities, like, I don't know, Sissy Spacek, you know, just kind of like people who have, have delivered great performances in the past. But, you know, if you, to be a successful gossip columnist or, or, or celebrity columnist, um, you can't be in awe of these people and you can't want to be friends with them. And yeah. I, I've done this for 20 years and I don't have a single selfie. I don't have a single autograph because that's just tacky, you know, and, and I don't need to put that. I, I don't need the world to think that I'm pals with these people. They are my subject. Uh, and on a bad day, my food, <laughs> my prey. Um, but uh, I, I, you know, I don't do it to get close to these people. So um, there aren't yeah. many people I, I meet that I, I get excited about. So I feel like because you have to do so much work on all of this and you're consuming so much media, like when you are home and you're chillaxing, what are you watching on TV? Like, what are you doing? Are you, are you so sick of all like Bravo and reality shows and all that? Or do you love this shit? Uh, I, I'm a total trash monster with my TV viewing. I'm, I'm I knew I liked you, Ben. <laughs> um, I, I, I will say that if there are, if they're personal, if they're actors that I have interacted with consistently over the years, I do yeah. find it hard to watch. I don't, I don't find them plausible in their roles because I just sort of know too much as people. Yeah. Um, so I, I, so I, I um, what am I enjoying at the moment? I'm enjoying, uh, I may destroy you. Uh, Michaela Cole on HBO. That's a very powerful show. I haven't seen that yet. Um, I, 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 I will admit that I was a comic book geek, so I'm kind of enjoying Stargirl, which is a bit embarrassing, but I think that's a very good comic book series. I don't think that's embarrassing at all. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, 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 I like the things that people like. I, I don't have the highest brow taste in that regard. Okay. So I, I feel like the whole Bravo just entity has really changed people that wouldn't necessarily be like TV stars, movie stars, like any of that, you know? And like, did you feel a shift in the entertainment industry when that was all becoming bigger? Probably like, uh, like a decade. Oh, absolutely. Ago. Yeah. Um, I, I think there, 
two of the biggest shifts which explain um, cultural behavior now. Uh, the first one was the introduction of reality television, um, which came in around the turn of the millennium uh, and was partly fueled by the writer's strike. The scripted television went away, so all the production companies had to go for something, a, a cheap replacement. So that was what supercharged uh, reality television. And I'll never forget, a, a, a friend of mine who was in, in their early 20s, um, you know, in around 2005, said to me that she was noticing her friend's behavior was changing and becoming more like reality television. Um, And, and, you know, people were behaving in their interpersonal relationships more like what they saw on television, which I thought was scary and not a good sign. And then, of course, the next thing that happened was was social media, which accelerated that trend. Um, And it, it sort of, it rewarded narcissism and it rewarded bad behavior and it rewarded the table flipping and sort of needless feuding that you see on the housewives programs. Um, because on the, on those shows, it's all about, um, screen time, you know, which is attention. And of course on TikTok, it's all about attention too. So I think that those two things, the reality television followed by social media a decade later are together responsible for a lot of the trouble we're in now. I totally agree. It's so funny you brought up that point about your friend because I had filmed some episodes for a show on Bravo, uh, Vanderpump. And it was funny because I was becoming closer with certain people. And even like with my friends during that time, like it wouldn't matter if the cameras were there or not. Like, I feel like it, we were always just on and there was a lot of drama and there was like fighting. <laughs> right. It felt like, like you were just in the show all the time. I know, it's sort of like, especially in LA, I think life sort of became an audition for TV. Oh my God, Ben, it's exhausting. That's why I've been in New Jersey for the past two months. I'm like, get me out. Like even like the pandemic almost made it worse. Just like sitting in my apartment. Like I, I became a, I manage TikTok accounts now. Like I, like, <laughs> I literally like, it's insane. No, it's, it's crazy. I would love to hear because Chateau Marmont is like my absolute, I, I loved your chapter talking about sunset and that party at Chateau Marmont. I, I would love to hear, do you have a favorite moment? I know you worked so much that you probably didn't have much time to go out and do things in LA, but do you have like a cool story or a favorite moment from working at TMZ? So I love LA. Um, and, uh, I, I was honestly, TMZ requires a lot of hours of the day. So unfortunately I was always exhausted because I was working, you know, 14, 16 hour days at TMZ. So I didn't really get to enjoy LA in a way I would have liked. Uh, and also I, I worked through over the winter time. I, I was only there like four months. So, it, you know, it was, I would get up and go to work in the dark and it would be dark when I got home. So I was in like the sunshine capital of the, of the country and I never saw the sun. So I didn't have the happiest time, <laughs> but, um, but in the, you know, subsequently I would go out for the times and I would cover the Oscars and I would cover the golden globes, um, which is a total hoot. Like I went to the vanity fair party this year, um, which was bonkers as you could imagine. And oh my just, God. Um, I, I would say there are so many huge stars at vanity fair. It is absolutely overwhelming because any place you look like there's Renee Zellweger, there's Caitlyn Jenner, there is like any, like, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, Joaquin Phoenix, any celebrity you could imagine is in that room. Um, So, you know, I'm not going to lie, even though I'm a little bit jaded for having done this for so long, that was kind of fun. It's so funny. I worked, I think it was an Emmy party. This was probably like seven, eight years ago. And I, my one sole purpose was to just pour refill champagne and (laughs) and that was another party where like, you could not turn around without hitting a celebrity 
And I remember Connie Britton didn't have a glass in her hand. And I turned around with my bottle and she just put her hands out and she was like, go for it. And (laughs) I was like, yes, queen. I was like, you're uh, you're a boss. You're cool. (laughs) And then that same party, I remember just feeling like a celebrity, like just this presence Mm. behind me and turning and Sharon Stone was just like, right. But, and she's, I like grew up loving her and um, like casinos, my favorite movie. And I just remember she was so underdressed, but still looked so flawless. And she, out of all the celebrities I met had a presence that like, it just preceded her like before she walked in the room. Oh, there are absolutely celebrities with just like, um, you know, lighthouse charisma. I, I, I would say Bill Clinton and Jude Law are two who had that uh, when I met them. They just like radiating charm. Um, oh uh, you know, Beyonce is like that. So there, there are a number of, of huge stars where they, where they are just like lighthouses. They glow. Oh, I love it. Love it. Who would you say? I am like want to get like catty now. Um, not catty, but like I want juice. Um, who would you say like beauty wise, like any like female celebrities that you're just like, oh my god, like you, you mentioned Beyonce, but like anyone else that you're just like, God, are you real? Oh, who was stunningly gorgeous? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um oh. you know, weirdly, it's like that um the most beautiful people in Hollywood are that kind of weird CWTV cast, like people, they all look like they're catalog models. Oh, yeah. Um, so th- those people look like they're grown in labs. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, I mean Jennifer Lopez, I think of the big stars, is, is someone who is just doesn't have a bad angle. I mean, I'm going to say the obvious ones, Brad Pitt. Um, you know, you, you, you can walk around him 360 degrees and, like, the, he doesn't have a bad angle. He's gorgeous from every, every side, which oh. is kind of unusual for the human face. Um, so yeah, there a lot of the I would say the usual suspects are just gorgeous, as opposed to like Leonardo DiCaprio, who like really isn't that good looking in real life. You're right. I mean, every time I saw him, he was like sweaty with a baseball hat, walking out of like <laughs> you know the Roosevelt Hotel. Um, I don't get the appeal. I have to admit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Is there anyone that? Um, is actually like really funny who comes off as like super serious, like anyone that you could actually like have a good yes. time. Yes, uh, this might surprise you, Victoria Beckham. What? Yeah, no, she's hilarious and she's super smart and she's super funny, but she has just worked out that her she she just hates how she looks when she smiles. So she always has that super like severe look on her face. And you know, I challenge you to, to find a picture in the last twenty five years where she's smiling. Um, and you talk to her, she's so nice. She's very smart. She's very warm. She's very funny and in on the joke. And, like, it's so not what you expect. Oh, my God. I love that. Yeah. I, I love it. Um, that's so cool. I love her picture with her leg up in the air. I feel like that's, like, a little direct, <laughs> like, a little tongue-in-cheek, like, yes, you bend it, Bex. No. I, I, I worry about Brooklyn, though. I have to admit, those. I think those kids – it's very difficult to grow up with, with very famous parents. And I kind of think we're going to have a lot of, a lot of trouble with those kids in the, in the years to come. Yeah. Is he married now? What's happening? He's, he's engaged. He's too young to get engaged. Come on. That's crazy. Right. I'm that, just jealous. I'm married just in the last five minutes. No, it's insane. It's so sad. Like even like Justin Bieber and Haley Bieber, I feel like, who knows? They might be in it for the long haul, but they're like not even 25 yet. Like, Oh, you know what? I will say, I will, let me add to the list Hailey Bieber as someone who is so gorgeous in person, like you almost can't believe it. 
she 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 is she is even better in person than than she photographed. She she is stunning. Really, oh, I, I, I'm a fan. I love it. That makes me happy. Um, I want to know because you covered the Met Galas. Um, is there any Met Gala look that you were absolutely obsessed with, or any that you were like, "This is fucking terrible. You're a dumpster fire. Like, get off the carpet." Oh, um, I would say that I generally find the Met Gala looks very overwrought, um, and I don't like it. It's like I. Um, they're just too – I mean, it's a particular American kind of style, which I blame the American prom culture for. Um, I often think that, um, you know, Amer- prom dresses are not necessarily women's best look of the year no. um, because they're just too much and too fake. Um, so, I mean, like I hated the whole Gaga, like changes on the red carpet stuff. Uh, no, and I am a massive Gaga fan, and I was like, come on, this is dumb. Yeah, so I, I actually, I, I, I would prefer, I mean, I, I often prefer Oscars looks, if I'm being perfectly honest, or even Golden Globes looks, uh, okay. because that, cause they don't try so hard. Um, I mean, I interviewed Katy Perry the hamburger year when she wore the hamburger costume. Um, oh, yeah. so, that, so that was kind of ridiculous. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I, on the whole, I, I prefer a, a more natural, more toned down look than the Met Ball. It's funny you bring up Katy, because I feel like she comes off as very cheesy, and I'm just wondering, like, is she, like, super bubbly and just, like, cheesy in person? Or is that more, like, played up for... She, she is quite bubbly and cheesy in person to the press. Yeah. Um, now, I don't want to tell tales, but let's just say that I strongly suspect that she... That is not her personality behind closed doors. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. That, I feel that way, too. I mean, I do find that the divas are the most professional to interview, Um uh, in terms of like those women didn't get there by being sloppy about anything, you know, like they're, they're on point and they're often criticized for that unfairly. But, um, you know, Mariah Carey, Beyonce, Madonna, even Rihanna, like they give you the best interviews because they are not there to play. And as long as you don't try to, you know, hit them with any gotcha questions, they, they, they're very professional. They'll give you exactly what you need in two minutes. Um, and they're just great interviews. I love that. And I find all their interviews, like they're all pretty funny. Like they can all like turn it on pretty quick. And I think that's something that's so refreshing to watch in an interview. But I think a lot of journalists are out to trip them up. You know, they want to ask that question that's going to make them look stupid or get them to reveal something overly personal. Uh, And, uh, you know, I I can understand why the journalist is trying to get that. But, uh, you know, I think that that's, that's when they react badly and they unfairly get a reputation for being divas. Um, just because people are always trying to like lay traps for them. Do you have anyone that like was absolutely the worst for you that you would ne- never like interview again? Uh, I've had some. I've had some bad experiences. Um, uh, you know, there there are people who just don't like talking, which I, on one level I respect because it's not compulsory to have to like to talk to a journalist. But like Robert De Niro, Leonardo DiCaprio, just hate talking to the press. Um, like Liam Neeson, he's kind of a grouch, uh, even, even in his own press, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, even, even on the red carpets of his own films, like he's kind of grouch to talk to. Um, on the other hand, sometimes you get people on a, on a bad day. Like I've had a terrible experience with Kate Blanchett, um, and we could just cause she, she just wasn't feeling it that day. And then the next time I spoke to her a couple of years later, she was completely delightful. So I think, Great. um, like all of us, sometimes celebrities just have, you know, bad days. Do you think Ellen DeGeneres has had just like a few bad years right now? Like, I feel like there's so much coming out there. And I, I mean, she's one of my favorite comedians, but I've worked on production side and I remember 
even last year I was working on a show and there was openings at her show and the other producers on my show were like, don't know, like that people are miserable over there. Have you ever like interacted with her? Yeah. Well, I mean, those of us in the business knew that she wasn't like that, um, you know, in person. Uh, and, And it was just show business nonsense. And she is far from the first celebrity whose nice exterior, you know, masks, a very driven and sometimes cruel, you know, person behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, but to your point earlier about cancel culture, um, we're in this weird cultural moment where now that it, it, it's been revealed what she's really like, it's kind of like people on, on Twitter are like, tear her down, destroy her. And I'm like, well, can't we just accept that it's kind of an act and, and move forward? And if you enjoy the show, keep enjoying the show. Well, yeah, uh, it's like a well-oiled machine. Like if you want yeah. I mean, I, I don't. I don't think she needs to be destroyed necessarily, just because yeah. the, the lie has been given. Because, because I mean, you know, celebrity is secretly a monster. Surprise! <laughs> Shockingly, I yeah, mean, there's, right. it's, it's it's tough to get there. Everyone would be famous, so. Well, that's exactly. You need to be really driven, and you need to be kind of a perfectionist. Uh, and you, you know, and often those people are not the nicest people. No, I, one of the things you say in the book is keep eyes and ears open. Most people will hang themselves. People tell you everything. If you just shut up, anytime the alcohol is flowing, tongues get loose, (laughs) which I I agree. Even my mom will be like, give me a glass of wine. I'll tell you everything. (laughs) Okay. One, one completely unconfirmed Ellen rumor I heard back in the day. Yeah. Um, And and I, I, I stress this is just, you know, tawdry gossip. Uh, but she, she, she got into this problem with a rescue dog. She had two of them and she made a big deal about how she was rescuing this dog when she adopted these dogs. And then she got sick of them in like two days and palmed them off to, uh, other people. And then the, the adoption agency said, you can't do that because we have to approve, you know, the adoption homes and you can't just give the, give the dog away because that's the violation of the contract. And then Ellen went on television and tried to shame the dog adoption agency. Uh, and it was this whole thing and it got very ugly. And at the time, she was considering adopting children. And I was told by sources on her set that everyone around her was trying to dissuade her from adopting the kid because they were terrified that it would be the dog adoption all over again. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) Again, unconfirmed gossip. I have not cleared that with the source, but that was what – and I never printed that because I couldn't prove it. But that that, that was a rumor of the time. Wow. Love the tea, Ben. Um, I mean, I could talk to you for a million more hours. First of all, that also sounded like a storyline on on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills with Dorit and Vanderpump. Wow. Um, Wow, Bethany. Wow. Um, That, I mean, I could talk to you for hours. There's so many more things. I I guess I'll just ask you a few quick more questions and then I'll let you go to enjoy the rain in New York City. Um, (laughs) I'm seeing, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing a lot of lightning out of my window, so you better get to that golf course quickly if you're going. Oh, yes. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going golfing because I want to seem classy and like I have my shit together. I bet you. you have a cute outfit for it. Exactly. It's really about the clothes, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I um, I want to know, do you have any like favorite moments or from like the late 90s, early 2000s, going out in New York, the clubs. Like I, I mentioned Amanda Sacco before, Amanda Lapori. Like anything from that time that we don't know about or just anything. Just give me the feels, Ben. Oh, gosh. Well, um, it was very exciting. Um, I would say that one of the things that changed in the time of me working was that Fashion Week used to be like the biggest deal. And it kind of got a little bit damaged after 9-11 uh, and never recovered. So one of the scenes in the book is the Mark Jacobs party of literally September 10th, 2001, like the night before it all went down. Yeah. And every celebrity in the country was at that party. 
and it was like a huge Hollywood premiere, and Mark Jacobs was at his peak, and Sarah Jessica Parker, who was the most famous person on television, was there, and Donald and Melania were there, uh, and, you know, just every celebrity you could possibly name, and that was fun. That, that was New York glamour. Uh, and of course it helped that I was young. I, I was young too, because it, it always, it, being young always helps, <laughs> helps you enjoy the moment. Um, and I, and to me, that was the pinnacle of New York City glamour, being at the Mark Jacobs fashion show, um, that spring summer season. And, and for me, there's never been a party like that again. Oh, that sounds fabulous. Um, I feel like we all kind of, I want to know if Sex in the City really, like, did you agree with all the stuff that was on it? Like all the hotspots, the fashion, everything. Did you think it was pretty accurate? Because I feel like you were living that life. Uh, it was, it was ac- accurate adjacent, let's say. <laughs> I mean, yes, and actually, I, I, you know, I really was living that life. Um, except, you know, when you're poor in real life, you have to like suffer the consequences. Did you notice that Carrie never suffered any consequences for being poor? Ever. She, kept, she kept saying she was a poor writer, but she had asked for shoes and she had that great apartment in the West Village. So, oh um, I didn't have that, <laughs> although I did have the property. Um, <laughs> But you know, no, the hot spots were true. Like we, we, we did go to Barney's, um, and uh, you know, we did go to the, the meatpacking district. Was going off uh, just beginning at that stage, um, so it was fairly accurate as, in terms of the hot spots. Did you love? I feel like meatpacking the Gansevoort Hotel was that like a spot for you? I remember everyone going there. Uh, the Gansevoort, I would say, was not. I would say top tier. Um, probably okay. across the street, Soho House was was more where you wanted to be. Um, and, and the Gansevoort was a bit more bridge and tunnel. Sorry to say that on, on your podcast. but No, immediately I was like, that's very Jersey of me to say the Gansevoort <laughs> Hotel, of course. I would sneak in there when I was like 18. Um, that's so funny. I Also, it was just the 20th anniversary of Coyote Ugly, the movie. Did you ever go to like Hogs and Heifers or... Uh, I, I, I did go to Hogs and Heifers, yes. Um, I wouldn't say I spent a lot of time there. Um, it wasn't, <laughs> let's just say it wasn't where the gays went. But um, but I I did have like two or three very fun nights there over the years. Oh my gosh. I can only imagine. Um, All right. Now I promised you I wouldn't talk sports with you at all. Good. You Uh, did. And now what are you going back on that now? Did you lie to me? (laughs) What are you doing today? I am. Um, But it'll be fun. This will be a quick, easy little game. You'll be fine. It's called playing the field and you are going to basically cast your like, all-star football team, but with celebrities. So, like, I want to know out of, like, anyone you've met who you would want to be, like, your head coach. Like, past guests have picked Andy Cohen, Oprah, Madonna, Chris Harrison. Like, who would be your, like, top coach? Who would be my head coach? (laughs) Um, And their duties and responsibilities are basically, like, guiding a successful team. Okay, so I did warn you I know nothing about sports. So you're asking me to like pick a daddy? Is that what you're asking me? Yes, pick a daddy. <laughs> okay, all right. The daddy I pick would be Barack Obama because Barack. I think he, he he's he's cute and I trust him. Oh my gosh, I love that. Um, all right, now I want to know who your mascot would be for your team. Oh, um, well, your cheerleader. Uh, well, I'm currently watching uh, Love, Simon on Netflix, so I would say uh, the, the actor who plays the lead on Love, Simon. He, he seems yeah. very mascotable. I love that. And then, okay, you're going to pick a quarterback. I'll make this very easy. Quarterback, and then you're going to pick a defensive line. So your quarterback, the traits are powerful, like the prettiest, detail-oriented, well-bred. They, they call the shots. 
Um, I'm going to uh, pick Donald Trump Jr. because I, I, my impression of quarterbacks is that they're brain damaged. So um, <laughs> I, I think I think the, the president's eldest child probably is my is my candidate for for most brain damaged on the field. Oh my god, you are hilarious. <laughs> um, and then okay, a defensive line. So their traits. Let's say they're groundbreaking. They get shit done. They're strong-willed. They plan parties, vacations. They have major throwdown. They'll go to jail for you, but they also fight with their family. They have no fears. That's a defensive line. So someone that does all those things. Oh, well, I would say, you know, probably the divas that I named because they just get shit done and they're they're incredibly professional and unapologetic uh, and perfectionist. So I would go Beyonce, Mariah Carey, Rihanna, Madonna. That's my defensive line. Wow. You really just killed that team. I mean, <laughs> I would much rather watch that team play than half of the NFL teams, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you feel like you learned about sports today? I'm so proud of you. Really? That's sports? I had no idea. <laughs> I literally had no idea that, that Madonna is on your defensive line with sports. No, no. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I just want to know, tell the meatballs, like, what you have coming up or what you want to do next. Like, I feel like you've accomplished so much. Is there anything that like lights your fire that you're like really interested in doing next? Well, you know, I'm, I'm editor in chief of this magazine, which is super exciting. Uh, and I'm closing the September issue now. So there's always like something like urgent needs doing when you're in media. So that's, that's very challenging, but very rewarding. Um, the book just came out, which was sort of the, the end of a two year odyssey, not going to lie, would not have picked the summer of 2020 as the ideal time to launch my book, but some things are out of our control. <laughs> it it has, been, has been a challenging environment to launch a, a book. Uh, but uh, so I think I'm going to take a little sort of book rest and then um, my publisher is interested in a sequel. So fingers crossed when I catch my breath, we'll start working on that. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I can't wait to see the September issue of Avenue. Um, Thank you. You are amazing, Ben. I am. I literally just have to like take an hour before golf to digest everything you just said. Well, I'm, I'm worried about you on that golf course. Not going to lie, because it's, it's, it's there's thunder and lightning and nonstop in Midtown Manhattan. It's okay. I'm dead after this interview. It's fun. This has been such fun. Thank you. No, thank you so much. Pimp yourself out. Tell everyone. I know you're not really into social media, but tell people either like the handle for Avenue or where they can find whatever you want people to find. Okay, uh, we're on all the socials, uh, Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter at, at Avenue Insider. Um, and I do Twitter only, and I'm at Ben Whittycombe, B-E-N-W-I-D-D-I-C-O-M-B-E. Please follow me. It'll be fun. You're fabulous, Ben. You're just thank you, thank you, thank you so, so much. Um, Meatballs, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing, reviewing, and rating the podcast. Um, and I hope you, you digest all this information too, because this was the best and a lot. So thank <laughs> you. Um, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. Just put your paws up. Cause you were born this way, baby. My mama told me when I was young. We're all on superstar.